Welcome to Bear Books Podcast. I'm Daisy Ray. And I'm April Berry. This is the podcast that introduces indie authors to their readers. Together, we're looking for our next favourite author. Well, welcome along, everybody, to episode five of the Bear Books Podcast. What have we got on today's episode, then, Daisy? This is Where the Truth Hides by Leanne Carmen. The synopsis reads a little bit like this. It's an investigation duo series prequel. I do love a good prequel if you can get a good one. Buried secrets can be deadly. Becky Morgan has a life most women would envy until a car accident lands her in the hospital. She insists she's fine, but it quickly becomes clear she's changed. She's forgetful, paranoid, short-tempered. Her husband wants to write off her change in personality to the IVF hormones she's taking in an attempt to get pregnant. Becky's best friend, Jules Dalton, is a gorgeous single woman with a habit of sabotaging relationships. When Jules loses the man who could have been the one, she confronts the realisation that being adopted at birth is contributing to her trust issues. She's obsessed with finding out why she was given up and turns to DNA testing in hopes her matches will lead to her birth parents. As Jules dives into DNA results, Becky's life soon becomes one she doesn't recognise. Those closest to her are accusing her of things she simply can't explain or remember. She's terrified of losing everything, her career, her marriage and her dream of becoming a mother. Desperate to put the pieces of her shattered life back together, Becky needs her best friend more than ever. What she doesn't realise is that Jules knows something that could explain everything away. Becky has a dark past she's unaware of, a darkness that's coming for her. It could also get her killed. Really good book. Yeah, yeah, for a debut novel, I think it's excellent. It was a really good read. Yeah, it was. I, I was I was enthralled from start to finish. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, to chatting to Leanne, actually. Yeah, me too. But I have questions. I have so many questions. <laughs> I don't think I can ask all of them for fear of giving away the plot to everyone that's not read it yet. I know, I've seen your list. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so many questions, so little time. I don't want to give the plot away, though, but I can tell you this for nothing. I did not see the ending coming. Mm, I was getting frightened for Sherlock the whole of the way through it. You are such a cat person. I am, aren't I? Yes, of all the things that could be happening in this book, you're worried about Sherlock the cat. Yes, I am. He's not used to, he doesn't go out and he was frightened. He didn't like anybody, apart from Becky. Yeah, he doesn't even like Brian. What does that tell you? Well, I mean, I have a cat at home that doesn't like me. <laughs> Shall we stop talking about cats and start talking about books and talk to Leanne? Yes, I think we should. This week we are interviewing Leanne Carmen about her book, Where the Truth Hides, which I finished reading on Thursday. So for me and for everyone else that's following the podcast, would you do us the honour of introducing yourself as a person, as a writer, what inspires you? Okay, my name is Leanne Carmen and I live in the US. I live in Florida. Where the Truth Hides is actually my debut novel, and it kicks off a series called the Investigation Duo series. So it is considered the prequel 
to the series. It's definitely a suspense novel with a little bit of mystery, and it's got its topic based in DNA, which I became extremely fascinated with due to encountering it in my own life. So once I got obsessed, I guess that's probably the only word I could choose to describe it. Um, I became obsessed with DNA and family trees and all that. And the idea just started spinning in my head and the book was born. So that was definitely my inspiration. Although uh, I would say writing a novel has been on my bucket list for as long as I can remember. So I finally decided that the only one stopping me from doing it was me. And so I just started typing and here we are. Excellent. We've talked to quite a lot of, of authors and, and everybody seems to have a different way they do it. You know, some write to music, some like silence. We've interviewed somebody that wrote it longhand. So how do you write then, Leanne? What's, what do you need to get those creative juices going? I do mostly type. I'll say that sometimes when um, I used to travel a lot for work and so I'd have some pretty long car rides and these ideas would start swirling and I'd have to dictate into like a text message to myself or something. So I have dictated while I'm driving, but for the most part, I am a typer. If I had to write longhand, my fingers would be like cramped and forget it. I do sometimes write with music, but for the most part, I write in silence. I think only because I'm getting older and my my memory goes in like that. So I could start writing something and if I get distracted for a second, I'm like, Oh, I just had a great idea. Where did it go? Where did it go? <laughs> so I can't get to, I, I don't like to get distracted because I do tend to uh, lose my place a little bit. <laughs> so I don't generally listen to music and I, I, I would say I'm pretty much in silence. Avoid those distractions at all costs. So you do have, well, as far as I'm concerned, as a reader, a nice smooth writing style. It's got like a good tempo. It's simply written, but it's still compelling. And it's a very modern subject matter, DNA tracing. Yeah. And you did say that that's something that came from you personally. And you managed to write the book without being all jargony. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so much easier for me. Did you go through DNA tracing yourself then? Um, in a way, yes. So my son's father was adopted and he actually passed away in 2013. And he had always wanted to know where he came from. I mean, it was a big deal for him. And so after he died, we did my son's DNA and I found his entire birth family. So I found wow. relatives that lived here in Florida. I found his birth mother. I found his birth father. Both are passed away. Um, but there was an uncle and he did send me pictures of his birth mother and the resemblance was ridiculous. I, I became obsessed with all the things that you could find out because I did uncover a couple of little secrets um, <laughs> that I think people thought would never come to light. And it just started the obsession going. And so I have lots of people like, if you say to me, oh, I did DNA, I'm trying to find somebody that's like throwing down the gauntlet. I'm in, I want to help. And I've probably helped about five or six different people find their birth parents. Wow. Or at least a birth parent. Yeah. How so intriguing. luckily it's all gone well. You know, sometimes it doesn't go well, but luckily so far it's all gone well. But there's a lot of secrets out there. And before DNA, people took them to the grave and nobody ever knew the truth. And the truth is coming out for a lot of people. They don't expect it. They, they spit in that little tube and they send it in and all of a sudden their daddy's not their daddy or something, you know, comes up that they didn't expect. And, yeah, you know, so but I, I do personally think people have the right to know. You know, if they want to know, they have the right to know. And it, it's a very emotional topic 
the topic of adoption, the topic of DNA, um, you know, what hurts me the most, I think, is when some people are found, they're just not nice to people. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they want no part of somebody busting into their family, even though legitimately they're supposed to be part of it. But, you know, babies are born and they're innocent. They didn't yeah. do anything. So yeah. it's really horrible to me that sometimes all these years later, somebody just wants to see somebody that looks like them or just wants to know their medical history or, you know, just wants to know their story and they get turned away fairly abruptly. So I did help one person who's the father side definitely wanted no part. And the mother side that I managed to find was very welcoming. And that I was grateful for because the father side was just downright mean. So different for everybody, isn't it? Some people just don't want their secrets to be known. And not everybody has lots of questions to ask when they find people. Sometimes it's just nice to see the face that made you. Right. I get that. I think if you're not, and I'm not adopted, but like I said, I was married to someone who was adopted. I know there was a lot of issues that came out of that. And it's taken me years to realize that those were the issues. Yeah. You know, at the time when I was living it, I had no idea. Um, but as I've done a lot more research, I, I found out. And it's really hard, I think, for someone who's not adopted to ever understand how someone who is might feel. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think every situation is bad. I think some are good, some are bad, just like biological parents you know, but I think it's, it's hard for someone who's not adopted to really understand what that must feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I can see all the passion that's in you around this subject. So I can see why this is a prequel and what's coming, but we'll ask you about that in a little while. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Excellent. I'm looking forward to the the next book, really interesting characters, um, Leanne, in this one. Daisy and I were talking about one of the characters earlier, Tonya. Not only was I suspicious of her, I actually didn't like her at all. I, I just thought she got no compassion. She seemed to be really sort of self-centred and driven, but not in a nice, pleasant way. A, a character came across as abrupt. And some of her actions had me second guess, and I thought it was her. Absolutely thought it was her. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Did you throw that in as a red herring? Was that the intention? No, it's funny because so many people have told me they thought they knew what was going on. And I was like, really? Because I didn't even write it that way. She really wasn't. She was really meant to show the difference in personality between Becky and Tanya. They were very different personalities. And I had to make her, I, I went back, she became a little bit more abrupt only because I needed her to believe that Becky would do things. So I wanted to make sure that she was all about the business. She was not going to have kids. She was all about the boutique. She was all about the business. She wasn't going to take any chances that anything was going to ruin that business because that was her livelihood in her whole life. Whereas Becky had a husband that she loved and well, so did Tanya, but she had, you know, she wanted to have a family and that would have been more important to her than the boutique. But for Tanya, that was her whole life. So originally, um, and and some chapters got deleted, but originally Michelle was meant to be the red herring. Okay. Yeah, I could see how that would be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she was meant to be the red herring. I lost a chapter that gave you a little bit more suspicion around her. Um, but she was originally meant to be the red herring. Yeah, she just placed herself too easily in the spot that needed her too quickly. Mm-hmm. It was just too convenient, like she contrived it. Right. Right. You see, yeah. I I didn't think that she made Becky any nicer. Becky was a really pleasant character. You know, she wasn't a pushover, but she was a really pleasant character. And 
she came across as caring and compassionate. And Tonya didn't make me think Becky was any nicer than she was. She just made me hate Tonya. That's interesting. She's actually based on a real person, too. She's based on a friend of mine um, that we used to work together. She was like, she didn't take no BS. She was just, you know, very... uh, I guess very, she's a little abrupt. I mean, but you know, good person, but work wise, she was the tough one. Yeah. Uh, So she was based, she was based, but I I did go back and make her a little less compassionate to Becky only because I felt like you needed to believe that she would think bad things about Becky, that she would be willing to think she might be doing something without questioning it. Yeah. I thought she, she believed it a little bit too quickly. She made me think she might have a little bit of a thing for Brian. Oh, interesting. People told me they suspected Brian too. And I was like, really? People told me, um, there was a lot of people, people said, oh, I totally thought it was this person. or I totally thought it was this person. And there was things I never even intended. So I thought that was kind of funny. But yeah, Yeah. even my editor, he thought for sure something had to do with Brian. (laughs) Because it's always the husband. I'm like, really? So there were some red herrings I didn't even plant, but they worked. It's amazing, isn't it? The way that different people read the same book and and put a different interpretation, you know, on it. And the way that they view characters and... Yeah, we read it It is very interesting because you read it and you don't know what's on the cutting room floor. So I know what's on the cutting room floor. It's already in my brain, but you don't see that part. So you only see some elements that I want you to see. Yeah. And so I, I definitely see things differently. And I thought about including some deleted scenes on my um, website. There's a lot of them. But I, I think that's that's the difference is y- you've not seen everything that I've seen in my head or who I'm basing it on in some instances. So it's interesting people's point of view. Yeah, definitely. I do love, Leanne, that all the leads in the book are female. Mm-hmm. You've got Becky, you've got the best friend, you've got your anti-hero, you've got the conspirators back in the day. Everything is female-led and uh, Mm -hmm. and the only guys in it are good guys, but they are supporting guys. They're not major plot points. Is that intentional? Did you want to have a female-led piece? Yes, yes. You know, it was funny. The first editor, you know, this has been a learning curve for me. It was my debut novel. It did take about three years to get from the first draft to the version that was released. Yeah. Um, three years, three editors, a lot of learning, a lot of cutting room floor chapters. But the first editor that read the first draft said, you need to end this on Becky and Brian. This is a love story between Becky and Brian. And I said, well, that's not what I'm intending to write. So I got to go back to the drawing board because that isn't what I wanted Yes, I wanted them to have this relationship, but I wanted it to be about Becky and Jules. I wanted it to be about that friendship. And who doesn't want a friend like Jules? Like, she's amazing. Like, who doesn't want a friend like Jules or a friend like Becky? But Jules really stepped up to the plate, and she's that best friend I think that everybody wants. And I knew those two were going to go on in the series to be the main characters. So I really wanted it to be a story about the two of them. I did a lot of rewriting to get to that point because I... It didn't come across that way in the beginning, so I definitely wanted to change that. That was definitely yeah. my goal. Excellent. I love that. So in terms of Becky, was, was she meant to be a victim or was she meant to be a hero? I don't know that I would say she was meant to be a victim. I mean, a lot of things were out of her control. I do think the goal around Becky was to make her real. And I think that every woman who's either had problems having a child or getting pregnant, 
you know, it does something to you. It turns you crazy. You know, I had a little bit of that, not as much as Becky did, but I had a little bit of it and it definitely makes you crazy. And then you think of all the hormones that she's on and she was just meant to be real. And even, you know, I, I did feel a little bad, like even someone who read an early version, they said, you know, I feel bad for Brian. You know, he's just this good guy, but I mean, it does crazy things to you. It just does crazy things to you. And then I think you start to think you're losing your mind. You start to think you're going crazy, you know, and she had a lot on her plate between, you know, owning the boutique and, and trying to get pregnant. And then that all falling apart through her into a terrible depression, which I don't think that makes her a victim either. I think that she had some pretty high expectations of what was going to come out of that. And when it didn't, it crushed her. And I think people, again, you know, we talked about the adoption, how it's hard to understand if you have, if you're not adopted, I think it's hard to understand if you didn't have problems, you know, getting pregnant, it was something you so desperately wanted. I don't know that you understand that despair that she went through when it didn't work. I have to say that I thought Becky came across as very real. Mm -hmm. You know, there wasn't anything that was written about her character that wasn't believable, that wasn't something that happens to people. My issue was Sherlock. <laughs> poor cat. Her poor cat. I was really, really worried for Sherlock. Well, Sherlock is based on my real cat. So I definitely have a socially awkward orange cat. There was times when I wrote the book that if he wasn't laying right next to me, I was getting upset. <laughs> um, but, you know, I will say that Becky wanted a baby and she didn't have a baby. Sherlock was her baby. And when I started to think about all the things you could take from someone to destroy them, I thought, well, the cat has to be one of them. Yeah, because you do. So when you start them, to think about all the things, they? yeah, all the things that you you take from someone to destroy them, you know, there was her job, her marriage, her cat, even, you know, that seemed an obvious thing that something had to happen to Sherlock. Not bad. Don't worry, buddy. <laughs> I, thought it I was can't quite, do that. Quite in, I thought it was quite interesting that, that there was a li- you could see a little twinge of jealousy coming from Brian when she was more concerned about the cat or appeared to be more concerned about the cat than anything else. And, and you could feel that his sort of alpha male was just vanishing a little bit there. Right. And he didn't know what to do. You know, Brian was a good guy. Brian is a good guy. And You know, I think there's a scene where it all goes down and he says, you know, he's so frustrated. He said, I'm hardwired to fix things and I can't fix this. And he just didn't know how to make it better for her. And instead of letting him in, she really shut him out. And I think a lot of that was she just started to feel like she had failed him. She felt like she had failed him. And what would happen if this great guy who should be a dad couldn't be a dad and it was her fault? Does she let him go to go find somebody else? You know, she just, she struggled with the fact that she could be the reason he didn't have a family. And so I think guilt shut her out a little bit. She had that sort of um, unreasonable guilt that he would hold it against her. Yeah, she was a little bit her own worst enemy on that Mm -hmm. aspect of it. She did like, she beat herself up about everything. She didn't need anybody else to do that for her. That was very real. That is something that people do all the time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so I did get that. So when the next book comes out then, because this is a prequel that we're reviewing, is that a whole series of books? Are you going to wing it? Is it going to be for as long as the stories keep coming? Do you have a set number of books in mind? Like, would it be a trilogy? Would it be more than that? What are you looking to do with it? I don't think I will ever run out of DNA mysteries. I don't think they will... I will ever run out of secrets. 
Will they be a little harsher and a little darker than most people's secrets? Probably. So I don't have a set number now. Good to know. It's a really good beginning where the truth well, thank hides. You. I think it, it's an excellent prequel because it, it's simply written, it's intriguing, it draws you in, it does not answer all of the questions. So you you just naturally want to know more. So I think when the next one comes out, we're going to want to read it. So when can we read it? <laughs> December 1st. It will release on December 1st. I'm in the final stages of editing right now. So I'm knee deep in that or I, up to my eyeballs, I should say. Uh, I got my edits back from my editor yesterday. So I'm tweaking a little bit. You know, he, he, he's my voice of reason. He's like, that's a great twist, but that's not how it goes down. And I'm like, but it could go down like that. It really could go down like that. So um, I actually have a 1230 call with my police officer friend because I have some questions for him. So I'm in the home stretch of finishing up this book and then it will be out on December 1st. Not even that long to wait, is it? No, thank you for reminding me. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to it coming out. It's the kind of thing that I like to get stuck into that that kind of sort of subject of mysteries reality mysteries if that makes mm-hmm. sense yeah so I'm actually looking forward to it so when I started reading this one I romped through the first half of it it is really good yeah I'm not a very complicated writer I don't like to read things that are very complicated you know a lot of detail and stuff like that so you know it was definitely a learning curve for me to get it to the point where the version you're reading now but I was happy I, I you know as a self-published author, I was never going to release a book that I didn't feel like it could stand right next to anything that was traditionally published. I'm completely ridiculously grammar focused, even in real life. So, you know, when I read another person's book and I see typos and I see mistakes, you know, it's just, I I was never going to let it, even if it took three years, which it did, I was never going to let it out until I was convinced that it would be something that I would read or that would at least be able to stand next to a traditionally published book and hold its own. When people started reading it and people were like, I had no idea that was the ending. I'm like, really? You know, like that was exciting to me, you know, as people just kept saying they couldn't figure out how it was going to end. So I, I love that. And all the red herrings or the, you know, clues that people thought they saw that I never wrote. I thought that's great. <laughs> I think there are for me like two schools of authors when it comes to indie authors. You've got Mm -hmm. like the vanity writers who will write a story and all that's in their mind is the focus to get it published and out there. Right. And then you've got the second, which you belong to, where it's not just about vanity writing, telling the story and seeing your name in print. It's about getting it right. It's about going through the process. It's about editing, re-editing. You Mm -hmm. would never publish a first draft. And so it took you three years. But that three years is like the most well-spent time because oh, I learned a lot. it's easier to read. It's a pleasure to read. It's nice to see what's happening. The characters are well thought out. And one right. of the reasons that we do this podcast in the first place is to highlight and amplify indie authors. And right. why wouldn't you? Because there's hidden gems that we might never know about otherwise. Right. When you do that, you really know on your end, don't know what you're getting yourself into. So I I understand that completely. And it was a huge learning curve. It took me three or four different people to work through till I finally found an amazing editor who's a great mentor, was actually uh, one of my favorite authors, became my editor. And I do believe that it was worth waiting for. So while the first one took three years, the next one took three months. Crikey, big difference. You've learned so much then. 
Mm-hmm. I did. I learned a lot. Like I said, there's a lot of deleted chapters that I keep thinking, well, I hate that they go to waste, you know? I learned a lot from him. And even as he was going through this draft, he's like, you know, he, he was the perfect find for me. We fit perfectly together. So he's a great, he was a great find. If I had found him in the beginning, it might not have taken me three years, but it, I went the long way. So. <laughs> well, we're glad about that. It was something that I've really, really enjoyed reading. So for everyone that's listening and wants to know more about you, Leanne, where can we find you online? Uh, probably the best pay- place is leannecarmen.com. So that's my website. Um, I also do publish a newsletter that everyone who's uh, apparently in the know says you have to have a newsletter. So I I just published my first newsletter. So I'll be sending that out. If you sign up for my newsletter between now and the day the book's release, I am giving away a set of books. And I generally try to write it when I'm like on a sugar high from gummy bears. So it's hopefully entertaining (laughs) even a little bit. (laughs) But yeah, that's the best place to find information because everything's there. It's a good job you're getting a bit quicker at writing then, so we can have a whole series before the world runs out of gummy bears. <laughs> right, right, right. I am addicted to gummy bears, my son will tell you. He's like, oh my God, you're still eating those gummy bears? I'm like, no, it's a new bag. Like, don't tell anybody. It is definitely my addiction when I'm writing and trying to get stuff done. I'm giving myself three or four months. You'll see another one. Is that your dog in the background making all that? It is. What's his name? This is Tucker. Tucker. This is Tucker. You want to say hello, Tucker? Come here. No, see, now he doesn't want to cooperate. I think you will be an author that I will be collecting for future. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the second book. I mean, I'm, I've got 6% of this still to read yet, but I was impressed. So thank you a real, real lot. Can't wait for the next books to come out. Me either. I always appreciate when people take a chance on an independent author. I just, you know, I, I know sometimes it's a gamble. And so I always appreciate it. And I'm always thrilled that I actually delivered something that uh, is worthy. So I, I appreciate all your kind words today. Oh, you're most welcome. And thank you. No, it was thank you. well worth it. Now that it's just you and I and the interview is done. Tell me who is your favourite character in Leanne's book? I think it's got to be Jules. I quite like Jules. Um, She's not over-perfect. I mean, I like Becky as well. I like Becky's character. I didn't like Tonya at all, for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't really think she did anything, to be fair. But no, Jules is my favourite character. For what reason? I just think that she's pleasant. She's, She's not perfect. She's really supportive of Becky. You know, she's trying to do the best to find her birth mother and at the same time not upset her adoptive adoptive parents so she's kind of she thinks about everybody and I think possibly a little bit of a flaw in that or in Jules's character really that she does think about everybody and so ends up potentially herself being a bit short-changed. Do you think so? Mm, I do. What about you? Favourite character? I'm not sure I have a favourite character that I can talk about at this moment in time without giving spoilers away, which I don't want to do for anyone that's not read it yet. And if anyone's halfway through it, they've not met my character yet. Not my character, my favourite character. Oh, blimey, I can't believe that's your favourite character. I know. But she's inventive, she's clever, she does research, she doesn't miss a trick, she's focused, single-minded, wants results, will do anything to get what she wants I mean you don't find that kind of commitment in just anybody you know I think there's one word for that what 
ruthless. Ah, but when you're reading a book, your favourite character isn't necessarily the friendliest or the one with the best ethics or the smartest. It's it's the one that, that makes you go, ooh. Yeah, I suppose it is. I mean, I've got to say I really enjoyed reading that book. It was good. It was very easy to read. It was very hard to put down. I read it in quite a short space of time. Yeah, the story was was really good and it built up and you got the layers of the story as they built up. I can see the characters in the book and why Leanne's developed them that way because of her character that came across on the interview. Yeah, yeah, you can. You can you can see that she's quite a feisty one herself, really. Yeah, why wouldn't that come across? So she's got these strong female leads in her yes. book and yeah. the guys are the supporting roles. I think it's a breath of fresh air to have a female-led piece like that. Oh, I like it. Let's let's look back in the, the years gone by, decades gone by. Yeah. Who was the one that kept the home together? Who was the one that sorted everything out? Who was the organiser? All the bloke did in the morning was get up, get dressed, have his breakfast that his wife put in front of him, went off to work, did as his boss told him, came home and had everything done by his wife. Didn't have to think for himself, did he? Ooh. Women are severely underrated in history for their inventions, for the things they bring to society. For example, the first rudimentary calendar was on a bone. There were 28 notches carved into a bone. And this was held up in a lecture hall saying, this is man's first foray into keeping a calendar. Well, why would a man need to mark off 28 days? Men don't have periods, do they? It is more likely that woman's first foray into keeping a calendar was 28 days notched into a bone. Oh, we're getting a bit straying into the, the, the realms of seriousness here. I know. Having, having said that, talking about years and years and years ago, we're going back years and years and years for next week's book. We are going back years and years, hundreds of years for next week's book. Tell us what next week's book is. We are. And it's really funny because we'll talk about chocolate, I think, next week a little bit. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that dangling there. Next week's book is Arden's Act by Elizabeth Thomas. It dates back to the 17th century. So in 1661, Arden West runs away from an abusive Puritan stepfather with the goal of becoming one of the first actresses of the London stage. One of the first people she meets is a jaded and central aristocrat, Robert Courtney, and sparks fly hot and fast between them. Will he help or harm her new career? Will she give up her quest for fame for him? Will he give up his arranged betrothal for her? Will her stepfather succeed in dragging her back to his peculiar brand of torment? And what of Charles II's desire to make Arden his royal mistress? Royal intrigue, assassination plots, ghosts and kidnappings are amongst the obstacles standing in the way of Arden and Robert's chances for happiness. Ooh, sounds like Sound- a right belter. It does, doesn't it? I'm quite looking forward to that. That and chocolate. <laughs> all, all will be revealed next week. Can't wait. We have been Daisy Ray and April Berry. Come share your opinions about the podcast, our authors and their books on Instagram and Facebook at Bear Books Podcast or Twitter at Bear Books Pod One. Submit your book for a possible future review to submissions at bearbooks.co.uk or if you've got any queries or any comments, email them to contact us at bearbooks.co.uk. Thanks to Simon Strong for the musical interludes. You can find him on Instagram at dadnap.mp3. And if you like what we do here, 
subscribe and share. Thanks for listening.